It's official. Real Ghost Stories Online and the Grave Talks will be live at the Crescent Hotel for one night only, August 11th, 2019 at 7 p.m. And you are invited. I'm Tony Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online, and I can't wait to meet you at the Crescent Hotel this August 11th for an awesome night of ghost stories. We're going to have a lot of fun at the Crescent Hotel that night as we record an episode of Real Ghost Stories Online live. The stories on this episode come from you guys, the audience, live at the Crescent. Then it's a live episode of The Grave Talks as we talk with Crescent historian and paranormal investigator Keith Scales. We'll learn all about the history of the hotel, how it came to be, why it's haunted today, what goes on at the Haunted Crescent Hotel, and allow you guys to ask your questions as well with a live Q&A segment. It's a fun night full of ghost stories at the historic Haunted Crescent Hotel, a hotel that we've had many stories from shared about over the years here on the show. Tickets are only $25 a piece and are on sale now. Go to realghoststoriesonline.com and click on the Live at the Crescent Hotel banner to purchase yours. They are very limited, though, and when they are gone, they are gone. Real Ghost Stories Online and the Grave Talks live at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, August 11th, 2019. Get your tickets now at realghoststoriesonline.com. Today on Real Ghost Stories Online, what do you do when your out-of-body experience leads you to information you did not expect? Ghosts of the Crescent Hotel make for an eventful night and a day trip for one couple. Lands them at the doorstep of the undead. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855 853 4802 or write in at real You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. And it is 855-853-4802 is our phone number to call in your real ghost story. Of course, you can write on the website realghoststoriesonline.com. If you like the program, extra podcast people, those are our supporters, EPPs, we call them. You can become one at ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash realghoststories. Five bucks a month gets you access to all the bonus material, all the uh, extra episodes, brand new ones every single week, and archive of more than 250 of those, uh, as well as advanced episodes of the show as we make them. Check it out at uh, ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash real ghost stories. Tony and Jenny joining you once again. Hi. I think we got a story today from the Crescent. I'm excited. Ah, I always like those. I yeah. do too. I, uh, I came across that not that long ago in the uh, the inbox. So, so much, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, just all the talk of the, I mean, they've always kind of had stories that came in about the Crescent, but a lot of buzz about it this, uh, this spring, um, you know, with, with their finding of those bottles. And um, I know it was, it was the premiere episode of, uh, of bro country ghost fighters uh, or ghost adventures. Um, <laughs> you have to be nice. I know I have to, I think I contractually have to be nice. You do. Uh, but <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, I haven't seen the episode yet. I actually might watch it just to, mm-hmm. I want to watch the rest of the Titanic episode too, which, sure. um, I think we stopped midway through cause I think you were crying a little bit. I was not crying. It was a tear. No, 
I I get freaked out visually. Yeah. So I can't watch scary things. I think anybody who's heard this show before knows mm-hmm. that. But so visually, it's just audibly that. Mm-hmm. Well, I listen to scary stuff that works all the time. Yeah, maybe so. that's why you can do the, you can do audio, but you can't do visual. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I'm interested to see that. I should watch that. Um. But just a lot. I mean, and this was not planned to be that way. To have that much stuff going on around the crescent uh, for us going there in August, it was just like, well, it's close by. <laughs> And it's haunted. Let's try this out. Yeah, and and they're nice people, and I've I've talked to them before. But uh, hey, you know, more the merrier. It gets everybody kind of excited about it. So, uh, it's obviously a cool place. Our show August eleventh at the Crescent. Uh, Real ghost stories online. We do an episode of this live studio audience sharing their stories, um, and then uh, we'll do a grave talks and really get in depth about the history of the place and uh, what the hell's going on there today. So, should be good stuff. A few tickets left at realghoststoriesonline.com. Let's go over to our first uh, letter of the day. It says, uh, hey there, I've been listening to you guys on Spotify for a couple of years now, and I love it. I love hearing other people's stories, and each time I get inspired to share my own. I also actually like the uh, commentary. It usually annoys me, but you guys make me laugh. Uh, I've gotten so many stories, but I'll start with this one. It's a lucid dream I once had regarding my best friend's not very nice partner at the time that I feel might have been a warning for what was to come. Just for background, I've always been quite sensitive and had my first out-of-body experience while dreaming uh, when I was seven or eight years old in a house I always thought was haunted. A little boy drowned in the pool there. Another story for another time. And I've experienced plenty of sleep paralysis episodes over the years. And I'm very familiar with having extremely detailed and lifelike dreams. On occasion, dreaming things that I remember and then experiencing them the next day or a couple days later. But this time, it was a little unlike the experiences I'd had before. I visited my best friend at her partner's father's house where they were living and met the father and another male who was a mate of their father's living in the house too. I instantly didn't like the father's friend. I got bad vibes from him. The house was also a little bit poor looking and had a bit of a depressing atmosphere. But I liked the father of my friend's partner. Even though she said, even though she had told me stories of abusing her partner when he was younger growing up, I just felt a warmth from him for some reason. My friend's partner was horrible, by the way, and physically and emotionally abused my gorgeous, loving friend for most of their time together, though she would lie to me about it until they broke up. She then shared everything with me. Just one day, I went to visit my friend at this house. We were watching TV, and I fell asleep quickly on the couch. I'd previously been talking uh, to her that day about her relationship with her partner, and she was struggling and crying and seemed to just be stuck in her situation, but didn't give me details as to why. Anyway, I had dreamed a very vivid dream, lifelike dream of being in the same house, but I was led to one of the of the walls inside the house that looked torn down. Like you could see bricks under the paint and inside was this large black space, which felt to me like a hell. I don't know how else to describe the feeling, but it was a dark place and unsettling. I remember this very well, and it was about five or six years ago now. In the darkness within this wall of the exact house I was physically in and now dreaming of was my friend's partner's father sitting on a chair. In real life, he had a chair that was his chair. And I also saw my friend's partner standing there in the darkness. 
There was a large projector screen playing what looked and felt like clips of their lives. It wasn't very detailed, but it was like a memory reel playing on a projector. It strongly felt to me in the dreamlike state, like looking into the past and was only involving my friend's partner and his father. I remember feeling such heavy feelings, like there was such a heaviness to the atmosphere of this dark place, a little bit of sadness, but overall it just literally felt like hell. When I woke up from this dream, no joke, my body was vibrating like a motor. My body felt like an engine. It was like this surge of energy was pulsing through my body, or my body was like kickstarting upon waking. It was so intense and really freaked me out. I remember it so clearly, and I've been so curious about this sensation ever since i think there may be a connection with what happens later down the track though a year or so later after my friends left this guy he ends up in court over being accused of murdering his father the end result was that he was guilty and sent to jail and his dad obviously killed by his son my best friend's ex-partner thinking maybe this was some sort of projection that i had whilst uh, while asleep in that house where, they're, uh, where they were all living together at the time. It was so crazy. I have goosebumps now, and I get them instantly every time I think of this experience and the very real events that followed this very vivid dream. I don't know either my friend's partner or his dad very well. I'd only met them once. But I never liked her partner, the guy. He didn't give off a healthy vibe at all, and I actually distanced myself from my best friend a little while while after she started dating him. Perhaps it was intuition, as he was, in fact, a dangerous person. I didn't know about the abuse until long after. Otherwise, I would have fought for my friend and been there by her side during this devastating situation for her. I wonder what you guys think. I hope I've explained clearly enough how real this felt and was. I'm so curious to hear your thoughts. And now, Jenny explains it all. (laughs) I think that... When you get that feeling about somebody that you've just met that you automatically don't like them, mm-hmm. don't count yourself as just, you know, being closed minded or an asshole or whatever. There's a reason that something within you is saying you don't like them. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there was a lot of abuse, abuse back and forth between that partner and the partner's dad. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that. You know, that may have been kind of a premonition of something that was going to come. But I also thought there was a reference to the the dad having abused the son, who was the partner, that maybe that was also a reflection of what had happened there but in the Mm -hmm. house before. So it's hard to know, but always go with your gut on people, places and things. If it doesn't feel right, don't don't be warm, fuzzy and cozy with it. Yeah, it seems like uh, the intuition was, you know, very right there. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you get those situations where you look back on somebody and go, "Oh, holy shit! Yeah, I was really right mm-hmm. about that." I, I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't have intuition feelings on people. Uh, as far as like, um, like I'm going to predict you're a serial killer or something <laughs> like that. But I'm pretty good at like guessing. Okay, if I look at your Facebook page in 10 years from now, I can probably have a good idea where you're going to be at or what you're doing. That's just a a skill. That's just judging. Yeah, that's (laughs) you're judging with accuracy, though. Yeah, and it's it's not I mean, it's not the same for it's very based on and I can't do it without knowing the person Mm -hmm. or, or hearing or talking to them for a little bit of time. I can't just look at a picture and go, boom, that's, you know, yeah, I don't have that. But no. 
It's a character. It's a it's a it's a judgment of character. It is a judgment of character. But I, I, one last thing I want to say on the intuition thing, yeah. where you feel things. If you are not one of those people, but your partner is, mm-hmm. always go with what your partner feels, because there's been a lot of times where. I've been in situations, not necessarily with you, but I've had bad vibes about something mm-hmm. and it was brushed off, ignored, poo-pooed. So yeah. bad shit happened. Sure. So I'm just saying, if somebody gets those intuitive feelings, respect that. I have a feeling that our small dog is going to try and suffocate you in the middle of the night. We should probably look at getting another golden retriever. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love our small dog. I know. Our small dog just doesn't like us. Yeah. So, but I'm getting the feeling. So um, you should probably listen. No. I'm kidding. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our phone number at Real Ghost Stories Online. He's getting to be more lovable. Uh, late. He's sitting on laps now. He's not just like sitting on the top of the couch, viciously staring and growling at us. He's, yeah. uh, he's He was sitting on my lap all night last night. He is great, though, for Liv. Yeah. That dog loves Liv. Liv loves that dog. Yeah. If he has one purpose, it is yeah. to keep her... Yeah. That is her security animal. That dog has picked a person. Mm-hmm. It's it's that type of a dog where it's like it's got its person and it loves that person, but then everyone else in the house is kind Can of just die. Yeah, it's like doesn't matter. Yeah, um, but you know, for 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 you know, pets as a whole, it's a he's a good dog. He is. There he's well behaved. He's just not super no. lovey. I, I just want to clarify so people are like, is he? Oh, you know, he's a good dog. He's I'm, a good I'm, dog. I'm There's nothing wrong with him. It's his personality. I can tell you what he's going to be doing about 10 years from now. <laughs> he's not going to be around in about 10 prison. years. Prison. He's going to be in prison. No. <laughs> As he gets older, he hates us more. <laughs> That'd be a great little clip right there. <laughs> As he gets older, he hates us more. <laughs> uh, 855-853-4802 is our number at Real Ghost Stories Online. Next letter says, my story takes place at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. I think from here I should just read the rest of the story, very much like Keith Morrison. Oh, uh, I don't um, think so. I yeah. noticed how you slipped that in there, but... I kind of just, it's like, kind of, I go to it. It just mm-hmm. kind of, it comes naturally, takes over my brain, and, you know. Okay. In 1996, I was 11 or 12. Your mic's off, you can't tell me to stop. <laughs> Enjoyed my grandparents on their vacation to Arkansas. At this age, I didn't know much about the paranormal and let alone had ever experienced anything ghostly. This was a regular vacation spot for my grandparents. My grandfather was super excited about this trip with his only grandchild and had mentioned during the car ride that he couldn't wait for me to see snow for the first time. We're from Florida. And for me to see the views from the Crescent, especially the view of the Christ of the Ozark statue that can be seen from the hotel, he was a bit of a historian, and the 15-hour drive allowed for the history lesson. When we first walked into the Crescent, I thought it was gorgeous. The hotel was your typical old, elegant-type structure, luxurious, in an old-fashioned way, just beautiful. We checked in, headed up to the staircase, at which point a picture of a boy in blue and a girl in pink caught my eye. I made a comment about liking the picture, and my grandfather told me a short story about it. Our room was one long room, with her bed on one side, mine on the complete opposite. It'll be important later. We had dinner in the dining room at the hotel that evening and decided to do some sightseeing around the hotel. Once we decided to call it a night, we made our way back to the room. My grandmother approached the door first, key in hand, and the door opened. 
She backed up to let my grandfather in first, and he said, Thanks, Rose. She said, Fred, I didn't open the door. He played it off as if not to frighten me, and honestly, being young, I just thought it was weird. A ghost opening the door for us did not cross my mind, but made sense after the next experience. Later that evening, I was lying in bed. My grandparents were already asleep. I remember feeling extremely unsettled and uncomfortable, like someone was standing over me, and it didn't help that my grandparents were on the complete opposite side of the room from me. I laid there, praying to fall asleep because I felt so scared. I even had the covers over my head, just saying, go to sleep, Jamie. Go to sleep. I'd speak out from the covers periodically just to make sure nothing was there. Then I decided for the last time to speak out. I took the covers off my head and there stood a huge silhouette of a man. He must have been seven foot tall, all black, no features, wearing a top hat and coat. My heart started racing. Back over my head, the covers went. After a few seconds, I peeked back out and he was standing even closer. Each time I looked, he was closer and closer. I made a plan to grab my blanket and pillow and run for the other side of the room with my eyes closed. And that's what I did. I grabbed my things and ran. Ran right through the man and got to my grandparents' bed and laid down on the floor beside them. I cautiously looked toward the other side of the room and the man was gone. My grandfather has told me stories about paranormal activity in that hotel, especially in the dining room. Anyways, thanks for your podcast. I hope you enjoy the story. I have heard you mention the Crescent Hotel in previous shows, so I decided to share. I want to hear dining room stories. We have a dining room story. Well, I know we have one, but I want to hear other dining room stories. If other credit cards and ways to pay your bill go flying across the room. This one time, a couple who hosts a ghost show went for brunch. At first, they wandered the buffet line searching for something delicious to consume. Jenny looked for pancakes, but all she found was French toast. That's nice. She settled in with French toast and some berries with a look of disdain on her face. This is so annoying. Then, Tony wandered the buffet line as well. I'm going to take my headset off now. <laughs> you got to lead up. That's how some stories go, where there's just like all this, it's like, Ten minutes of nothing to do with ghosts. But listing off of food items. And the on the left side of the dining no. room were four chairs. God. <laughs> Set up the scene. Um, but uh, no, we, it, it, we, uh, we had our credit card uh, in the dining room fly across the room. That was kind of fun. Uh, but that's all I got. We're going to be doing our show in that very dining room. Okay. So. That'll be fun. Shit's going down. I'm going to bring a Ouija board. <laughs> We're going to have a big group Ouija we session. We are not. <laughs> doing that <laughs> world's largest ouija session everybody puts like a pinky on the planchette yeah that's the worst every idea every hundred people hundred people summoning something i can't think of something worse than that <laughs> great fun uh if you had a ouija if you had like multiple ouija board sessions going on at the same time could the same ghost be, be manipulating all the boards it's kind of going board to board doing messages yeah i think with what they're able to do that's well within their wheelhouse of 
fucking with multiple groups of people doing Ouija boards. Totally would do that if I was a ghost. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. Uh, all right. Good time. If you want to join us for the uh, multiple Ouija board session. We're not doing that. No, we're not. Uh, you can uh, get your tickets at uh, realghoststoriesonline.com. Uh, only a few left. Uh, this is coming up uh, not too far from now, August 11th. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our number at Real Ghost Stories Online. Next story says, my husband and I were returning from a couple of days of play. It was late and dark and we were talking nonstop, as we always did, even when there was nothing to say as we drove towards home. The subject of crossing over and death came up. I lost five relatives in the preceding 13 months, and we talked about where they might be, what they might be, how they might be. Death conversations were never macabre with us. They always seemed natural, open, and inquisitive. This night's exchange of ideas seemed a little more serious, but not scary serious, just interestingly, interestingly serious. Ron and I had been married for 40 years, less about three weeks, and at some point in the discussion, we made a pact. The one of us who found ourselves first on the other side would attempt to contact the one left behind. A small concrete sign that life does indeed go on. That brief exchange of ideas and promises between two healthy adults with plans to live many, many more years resurfaced within a, fort, within a fortnight and with remarkable clarity. Here's my story. We traveled a lot and wherever we went, we collected spoons. Jenny, just like you, you collect spoons. No. You have that big spoon collection upstairs. I don't collect anything. You're just missing Iowa. No. Now I'm going to get like 14 <laughs> Iowa spoons sent. Thanks for that. Over the last several years, we took 30 to 90 day trips. And over the last year together, we rolled along in Alpha Gold fifth wheel. I would laugh hysterically if we got some Iowa spoons in. We worked as uh, camp hosts, uh, uh, birded, hiked, built trails, went sightseeing, hit the casinos, and collected spoons. Ronnie died nine days before we were to leave on a 30-day trip to Australia and New Zealand to celebrate our 40th anniversary. Anticipating the spoons we would collect it made the planning of it more intriguing. Our collection of spoons began in 1974 in Denver, Colorado, the first of many vacations we would share with Betts, my mother-in-law. She bought a spoon rack for me to display spoons commemorating the sights we saw. Spoons from every ghost town, national monument, national park, restored fort, every place we visited graced the first rack, and I guess the collecting of spoons transfused our blood, Ronnie's more than mine. Over the years, he selected and purchased eight more spoon racks with capacities varying from 12 to 48 and displayed them on our living room walls. Everywhere we went, we searched for the perfect spoon to prepare perpetuate that specific spot in our minds. The one rule was never display any spoons unless we had visited the place. And a rule set aside when Jessie, our granddaughter, brought us three from her European trip. Still, those spoons hung separately, a row segregated from ours, saluting our incredible times together. During the summer of 2002, Ron and I talked about our spoons as we wandered from place to place across the Midwest, from the Mall of America to Glacier National Park, and at every stop, we bought another one, 21 in all, at all the, all the most we had ever collected in one year. We relived in our conversations those times past already memorialized by spoons on the rack at home. We returned home in November to place our new spoons on those racks and visualize the ones come next year. Reservations were made at two Australian national parks. 
And we spoons from there. The casino in Melbourne. We'd spend our anniversary night. We'd offer a special spoon. Jesse told the innkeeper at Tasmania Bed and Breakfast of our hobby, and he promised to have one ready. And she even convinced the horse ranch where she worked to have something to add to our collection. About 5.30 in the afternoon on January 6th of 2003, Ron and I walked our dog. We had a busy day, me packing for Australia and Ron running errands for the office. Ron was more tired than usual, yet we both laughed when we said, those girls at the office don't know I'm retired or they just don't care. But halfway into our mile and a half loop walk, he became lightheaded and sat down to rest a minute. I told him I'd drive over to pick him up after I finished the walk and Nikki and I continued down the trail. From about 250 yards, I saw he had crossed the creek and was walking towards the locked car. Why, I thought. I had the keys. Why didn't he wait for me? I looked over again. He was lying on the ground. I raced towards him, thinking he must have tripped or perhaps he was dizzy, lost his balance, and may have hurt a knee and ankle. A couple reached him first. He was lucid, not in any pain. I asked him, and he said, no, just very weak and lightheaded. I backed the car, and the couple helped him in. He thanked them and was dead less than a full minute later. He never struggled, gasped for breath, or expressed any indication of pain. He simply just stopped breathing. He was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital based on what happened. Doctors speculated electrical imbalance, cardiovascular disease, a stroke, and in the end, the death certificate listed heart attack. No one asked to perform an autopsy. It didn't seem necessary. Certainly, it did not seem to me. He was gone, and the why or how didn't matter. I signed to donate his organs, and we had agreed long ago and known he would be pleased to know someone would see, uh, it would be able to see with his corneas, maybe the only usable donation. I was lost in a fog of disbelief, and as were the kids, grandkids, and all the people who loved him. Roddy and I enjoyed the being together of being married, and I couldn't get my mind around the thought of not having Ronnie next to me. Once, just a few months before, in Deadwood, South Dakota, Ron and I became separated in one of the casinos. Thinking I had left the building, he went down the street, and when I realized he was gone, I panicked, consumed by an unreasonable fear of losing him. As I dashed from building to building in search of him, he searched for me. When we saw each other, I burst into tears and thought I felt foolish. I couldn't stop the tears of relief. He understood and held me for a minute. Maybe that was a precursor of things to come. The same horror and terror multiplied a thousand, a million times, devoured my spirit that Monday afternoon and grew into a massive hole in my heart five days later, Saturday morning, the day of the memorial service. Our kids, my brother John, who was to do the eulogy, my niece Peggy, my sister-in-law Becky, and a couple of friends arrived early that morning for coffee and to prepare for our formal goodbyes. While the others sat in the living room, John and I sat at the kitchen table talking, reminiscing about how Ronnie had added so much to both of our lives. John made notes as he put together his farewell tribute. The sound of something hitting the floor in the living room pierced the heavy air that surrounded us. A spoon had fallen from the top rack. In the 25-plus years those racks hung on the wall, never had a spoon fallen. Most of them could only be removed when turning at a certain angle. A peg called out. Aunt Olivia? A spoon fell. Chill bumps covered my arms, and I reached to pick up the fallen spoon from Tombstone, Arizona, a place we had visited so long ago. Without a voice, Ronnie spoke to me, and I heard him as clearly as if he had sat across the room, and I've crossed 
the tombstone of my life has been set. You'll go on, and we will still travel together, Becky said. Look, the spoon next to the one that fell is moving. Indeed, it was swinging back and forth. I got a chair to climb up and look. Australia? How could that be? We were never in Australia. Australia was just the place we planned to visit together. I don't know the source of that Australia spoon, and it doesn't matter how it found a place in our spoon collection. Ronnie spoke to me, spoke to us that morning. He let me know I was not alone, that he'd stand beside me, even as I stood at the tombstone, and that he would continue to travel with me. I experienced a peace unknown that week, and that peace remains with me. It got me through that day and ever, every day since. There have been dozens of other reminders of Ronnie's continued presence in my life, but none clear or more opportune than the falling of that spoon. That's a great story. I really like that one. Can we start collecting spoons? Now I've always wanted to. <laughs> I don't think it would mean as much to us as it did to that. Person. I know. Um, but that's kind of a thing that a lot of people have done. Mm-hmm. The, the spoon collection. Where, how did, what, is this, what is the origin of that? How did that start? What is what is the spoon collecting thing about? I mean, I know it's like commemorating where you go, but I'm I'm more curious. How did this start? Who thought, well, spoons, spoons are the things to collect. I don't know. Maybe somebody just randomly a long time ago started taking a spoon from every hotel that they stayed at and it turned into an industry. I don't know. I wonder. I, I, I'm just curious about the origins. Now, if someone would like to let me know that, go for it. I'd yeah. love to hear the... Uh, the story. I mean, everybody has kind of things that they collect. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's it's taking pictures. That's what we tend to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have like a thing that we we get from each place. I think Harp takes a rock from every place that she goes. Or she, she used did. to anyway. She used to. Just take a little pebble from some place mm-hmm. and then she'd, she could, that, she's like two and a half and she she'd be like. tell you whether, where the pebbles came from. <laughs> like this pebble came from there and that pebble came from here. And mm-hmm. But uh, now we don't have uh is there something we could start collecting? We, well, we, we I, I kind of have. I, I get those. They're not old, but they look old, like mm-hmm. the old travel posters from different mm. places and kind of have started yeah. a collection because those are something, for one, I don't have to get at the place where we are. I can order it later. So sure. I know it's going to get home in one piece. Mm-hmm. And they're really inexpensive because they're not old. They're just reproductions. But yeah. they're a, a nice little reminder of where we've been. You are doing that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. That's neat. They add a lot of color to an otherwise very blank wall. That's true. That's cool. Um, yeah, I'd like those. Mm-hmm. And I'll do spoons in here. Uh-huh. I'm going to spoon like the whole, it's like, like, uh, what was it? Is it the trim? Wallpaper border around wallpaper. the top of the room. <laughs> spoons. Yeah. All spoons. And then I'll do some, uh, some pineapples with sponge paint. Oh my God! There, would that be good? That was my childhood home. I think we had a lot. I know we had pineapple with sponge paint somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what room or where. I had a, a. It wasn't a wallpaper border, but I had a border around the ceiling that was painted sponge painted, and it was um, <laughs> ribbon like tied in a bow mm-hmm. and flowers and like that dusty blue of like 1992. Yeah, kind of that mauve color and then sage green and like big. Baskets of potpourri in the bathroom. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Is uh, what the hell was the wallpaper that you know? It was it was like it was trim wallpaper. Mm-hmm. What, what? Why? What was? I mean, I know wallpaper is kind of coming back. Uh huh. Into like full wall wallpaper, but is like the trim wall like 
People did that too, just the same as they did like the sponge painting borders of pineapples. I haven't seen that come back. <clears throat> wallpaper is definitely back, yeah. but I haven't seen the wallpaper borders that go around the top of the ceiling. It'd be like one thing if it was like a little boys' room and it was like oh baseballs and you oh, know, yeah. then you know, there's all different. But the, but adults would put this like above like the trim of the ceiling sometimes. Yeah, now it's just it dates a house. <laughs> My <sighs> personal opinion, it it dates a house. Yeah. But it looks so fun and inviting. So as if you never got rid of it, it's yeah, it's coming back. Oh, there you go. Eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two is our phone number at Real Ghost Stories Online. My current girlfriend used to work at a gym in Melbourne, Australia. She had worked there for around six months, and nothing had ever happened until the gym was doing a renovation to make it bigger. The first thing I will mention is that where the gym is located used to be a hospital and a psych ward back in the 1800s to early 1900s. This is not bullcrap. You can probably look it up. If you know Melbourne City, then you would also know that there are a lot of underground below-level shops and malls. Well, the gym also had a covered area, but it was not used. It was just empty rooms and hallways, as it used to be part of the hospital. Getting back to my girlfriend, she was part of the manager sales team, meaning her and the other members of the staff would often stay back quite late after gym hours, usually after 9 p.m. My girlfriend would tell me, how everyone knew that it was an old hospital and psych ward, and even the builders knew as well. She and her other workmates had sometimes gone into the abandoned areas and often only going downstairs and past the first couple of rooms before they felt sick, as my girlfriend put it, and they'd have to turn back because they felt uneasy. I remember my girlfriend explaining to me while she was working there, and I was always saying, you're probably just scared because you know it's a psych ward, and, and she started telling me that the other builders were asking her, or the other staff had uh, taken their tools and they had gone missing. It was an ongoing thing between the staff and the builders. The workers leave most of their tools there overnight as the renovation went on for about three months. I said to her, the builders know it's a psych ward. They're probably just playing with you to try and scare you guys. I admit probably would have done that if I was one of the builders. From here, this is where it gets worse, much worse, and I'm actually getting major goosebumps just thinking about what I'm about to tell you. It was morning when my girlfriend called me from work, about 7 a.m. or so there, about, and she was crying. I was really worried. She was trying to talk on the phone, but her sniffles and crying were blocking out any words she was trying to say. So I just said to her, do you need me to come pick you up? She said yes. I left ASAP and was hoping she wasn't fired or hoping someone wasn't hurt. When I arrived, I went straight into the reception area, but no one was there. I looked around for her, but didn't see any staff around or patrons using the gym. I started freaking out really badly. I walked into the gym, calling out her name, and finally saw her boss, who was also her friend, walking towards me. She told me that they had closed the gym and that the staff was sent home. I found this really strange, as this is one of the biggest gyms in Melbourne, and they wouldn't close it for something small. I asked her what it was about, and I'll never forget what she said. I think it's best that we leave right now. I have to close the gym. This way, she said, the way she said it gave me shivers as if something really was wrong. My immediate reaction was to call my girlfriend. She picked up and said, where are you? I told her I was inside her workplace and she freaked out. She told me to come outside right now. As I came outside, I looked around and finally saw my girlfriend about three stores down on the corner of the block. I ran over to her as soon as she saw me. She just hugged me and cried. I asked her what was going on, and she said she'd tell me in the car. 
We arrived at my car, and once we were seated inside, she looked at me and said to me, still crying, there's a ghost in there. I found this to be a joke of some sort and laughed and asked her to be serious. She just looked at me and said, no, really, there are ghosts in there. I remember staring and starting the car and feeling really weird, as I've never really believed in ghosts as much as I'd like to. Once we were moving, she started to calm down and wasn't crying anymore. She continued to tell me about what happened. And what she told me was that she arrived for work early, as always. She and her boss were the only ones there besides the builders. A builder came upstairs and asked him if they had access to the security camera footage as his bucket of tools had been moved to one of the rooms further into the downstairs area and that he had left it in view of the CCTV camera and was hoping to see who the trickster was. My girlfriend said that they went into the security camera office and started looking through the footage of the camera. Here I'm getting shivers typing this. The bucket that the builders had left was pretty much in full view of the camera and she said that it moved on its own literally was pushed a few meters out of the view of the camera. The builder made a big fuss and freaked out and went to and got the other builders to pack their stuff and leave. I did believe my girlfriend there and then, but also wanted to see the proof for myself. My girlfriend didn't go back to the gym for about two weeks and the renovations were never finished to my knowledge, at least not while my girlfriend was working there. The weird thing was, whether you believe this story or not, is that the CCTV footage was taken and no, not by ghosts, but by actual people who supposedly worked for the government. And as far as I know, what happened at the gym never got out to anyone except for the people who were there. I wonder if anyone else has had any similar situations. I think contractors probably run into this quite a bit because mm -hmm. when you start moving stuff or, you know, not destroying, but doing demo and rebuilding a place, the, the ghosts don't seem to like it. So I bet that's a good source of a lot of stories. I'd love to find out who's who's working on the renovation projects over at uh, Traverse City Commons and just reached out to the construction company. Yeah. Just directly. Just be like, hey, just curious. Mm-hmm wandering but they might not talk to you till they're done yeah they probably want to keep that job uh but uh, i i would be very curious about that glenn who uh updates us on his ghost stories uh who works security in that uh, hotel that's being renovated does some really interesting stuff he just posted a video the other day and i watched it and uh he's like this is why no one is going to the first floor uh, and there was some complaints of noise down there, and it's really kind of ripped up looking and all that, uh, under renovation and such, and he's just doing his thing, like, is anybody down there? And you can hear shit. Probably I won't play it for you. Okay, good. Uh, because it's pretty freaky. Okay. Uh, but it's freaky. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, I'm not one who's ever good at, like, picking out you know, here's uh, here's a ghost mm -hmm. or, or a voice or something. It's like Richard and Chattanooga creepy weird. I'd almost say it's uh, I mean, it's more audible than just the the wisp sound that we had on that. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a voice saying something. Okay. And I can't make out what it is, uh, but it is uh, it is creepy. Mm-hmm. Are you playing it now? I'm looking it up, and I'm not going to play it while you're here. Okay. I'm just going to see if I can find it, because we're about to wrap up the show anyhow. And uh, let's see if I can find it on the page. He posts a lot of these videos to our Real Ghost Stories online group page, and they're very interesting. He has many, many of them up there. 
Uh, and if you're, if you haven't heard any of his stories, um, he was just on last week with uh, some updates for us. Uh, it's been here's a, a post. This is a post for him. It says, it's been a bit uh, for me. I've not posted, but I have a story I'd like to tell you. I moved to second shift and they replaced the two guards on third shift. The two new guards on third shift are women and they have been telling me that they have been terrorized from the first night. They are now so scared of the building, they'll not go and do rounds. The ladies keep telling us that something is following them from the ground floor to the top floor. The one girl is so scared, she'll not leave the booth. When they asked her why she said someone keeps calling her name in the hallway, and she said when she gets to the end of the hall, she'll see a shadow following her while she's on the, uh, on the tour. I asked them if they want me to do a tour with them, and one of the girls started shaking so bad, she kept saying to me, no, something wants to hurt me up there. It's like a lovely work environment. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can find this. Uh, well, if you scroll long enough on our Facebook group page, there's a lot people, a lot of postings now. So welcome to everybody who posts on there. It just makes it hard to find the uh, some of the postings that have gone up a little while back. Um, anyway, it's up there. It's creepy. Jenny Luck. I wasn't going to play it for you anyhow. I was just going to say, well, I'll play it when you leave the room. Okay. It's, I, I'm not going to find it. I'm just going to keep scrolling forever. But it's up there if you guys want to find it on our um, Real Ghost Stories online group page. So there you go. If you like the show, keep us on the air. Become an extra podcast person. An EPP. Sign up at uh, realghoststoriesonline.com or patreon.com slash realghoststories to support the program and keep it on the air. A few tickets left for our show live at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. Go to realghoststoriesonline.com to get your tickets for that. Until next time, for Jenny, I'm Tony. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. <laughs>